Welcome everyone to another episode of Unverified Accounts. I'm your host, Chris, and I'm with me is Liza. Hello. And Philip. Hey, y'all. Uh, before we get started, we just want to wish a warm happy birthday to Liza's son. Happy birthday. Happy Yay. birthday, little guy. <laughs> I'm sure he listens to every Unverified Accounts episode, so... <laughs> Do you believe out the swearing? There's a lot of swearing, I feel. <laughs> no. And, um, oh, and just a reminder, well, you know, if you like us, follow us on Twitter. Um, all our individual accounts will be in the show notes. And then we have an account for the show as well. Did you know that you cannot put unverified in any of your uh, Twitter handles? Is that why we have a one in the Twitter? Yeah, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just trying to be some punk, like, teen from, you know, <laughs> 2000, you know. But, no, I, I had to find a way to put it so i was like i'll just use a one you know so mm-hmm. uh you can check us out there as well that's Actually, weird f- i wonder what other words are banned from twitter handles is it the word unverified that's banned or is it the word that's verified that's banned right because imagine you just made an account called like mm, donald trump verified I yeah i think thought- it's yeah i think it's um both, it's the verified part yeah. Mm, okay. yeah yeah also on google you also can't have the word account in google so yeah, that, this is what I found out. We have all the the banned words, I guess, in our <laughs> in our name. Um, actually, I think it's quite fitting that uh, it's Liza's son's birthday uh, soon because our whole episode that we're gonna do today is about two Asian American coming of age films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One of which is much more appropriate for someone his age than the other. <laughs> and we actually started getting some recent requests about people who had seen Soul Searching and wanted us to do it. So it's uh, perfect timing. He's seen both of them when I watched them. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Do you like them? Yeah, he did. Well, that's a, that's a very uh, mature kid who can watch <laughs> Better Luck Tomorrow. <laughs> um, but uh, before, before we get to that, uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened this week that we want to talk about. So Liza has the most experience of any of us being in Twitter jail. And Twitter jail. <laughs> Yeah, so, and then, uh, Liza, you got into, I don't think you got close to being banned or anything, but can you just tell us about what happened this week? week? Yeah, so there is a, um, how do you pronounce his name? The Se-chan? I have no idea who this guy is, so. Yeah, he's an Asian blue check, but he tweeted out a question, if there was a Bechdel test, but for Asians in film and TV, what would the rules be? And. I happened to just like scroll through the replies and it was all just, you know, no more than um, uh, no, like absolutely no talk of martial arts, no accents whatsoever. Um, the, there has to be like more than two Asians in a room at a time. And they have to talk about more than just being Asian. Um, they can't be related to each other. Just all this stuff, like you can't be good at, don't talk about math. They can't be good at math. Don't, Mm -hmm. um, absolutely no talk about honor. And (laughs) I tweeted back the replies to this tweet, just expose how ashamed Asian Americans are of their own culture. And they just want representation that paints them as America or, you know, assimilated to white liberalism as possible. Mm -hmm. And then I went into the replies and replied, to directly to him and I was like there's nothing wrong with being bad at we're being good at math or doing kung fu or having an accent and I yeah. said like it just shows that like all the things that they all the things that they are just like absolutely none of this um yeah they are very stereotypical 
to the Asian experience in America. But it's like, but none of them are bad though. And none of us made it bad. And like, I don't know, maybe I'm just one of those people that doesn't really run away from stereotypes. I thought you were specifically beefing with them, like hating on martial arts films in general, right? Because like, if it's a martial arts film and there's an Asian character and they do martial arts and they talk about martial arts, well, that just kind of makes sense, right? But you're saying like in a movie that has nothing to do with martial arts, bringing up that topic is the is a tab is a taboo that would fail the test, right? But I'm just like, I mean, why can't they just bring it up, or why can't they just do it? Like, I don't know. This is, I guess it's embarrassing. Like, this is the thing is embarrassing, right? Why is it embarrassing? That's my thing. And like, same I, with the accent thing. It's like none of them are allowed to have an accent. And I'm like, do you know how many Asian Americans have an accent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why is it embarrassing to be to know an Asian person with an accent or to be an Asian person with an accent? All of our parents have accents too. Because I mean, it's kind of like conceding that you're you're embarrassed of the accent, right? Like that's exactly what my argument was. They're embarrassed of the accent. That's why they're just like must ban the accent. None of them are allowed yeah, to have so, an accent. So maybe I'm I'm saying maybe the solution is that we have to stop being embarrassed of the accent, rather than trying to just sound you know like a quote unquote normal white person. Yeah, that was you know? my point like, too. Like that's the yeah that's 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 really the goal. Um, but like. I kind of understand like the feeling that these folks have when they watch any TV or movies and they see an Asian character come up on screen. There's this, I'm I'm sure there's this immediate, like, you know, cringe feeling, anticipation, uh, maybe dread that like one of these things on this list will pop up and you just don't want it to happen. But right, why? So, right, that's Liza's yeah, but, question. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you dig <laughs> Same into with, it. Like the whole, like, they're not allowed to be good at math. It's like, okay, Why? Yeah, I mean, is it on? Is it on them, or is it on the the producers of the of the media, the, like the the writers, the filmmakers, the actors? Like, who's it actually on? He didn't you know? specify. He just said that there was a Bechdel test, but for Asians in TV and film. Mm-hmm. And, and Liza, did you start this? Uh, people start like sniping back at you and stuff. Oh yeah, of course they did. Yeah. Well, what What did they say? Uh, just the usual that you would expect. Um, a whole lot of mumbo jumbo about stereotypes and uh you know it's hard to know the intentions of those who i guess it's they're arguing with me that it's not about self-hatred it's about going mm-hmm. beyond the usual stereotypical tropes uh-huh and it's yeah. like totally missing my point right yeah. right yeah um there, there was an interesting incident that, that happened to me uh I guess it was a few weeks ago. So I was on a date with this uh, Asian woman, and she was, you know, born and, and raised in, a, in in New York City. You know, uh, second generation Asian American, and we're just like talking. And then she told me that she generally tends to date kind of like fobby or Asian guys, and um, she just told me from her experience that they those guys are more confident and less they, like yeah. neurotic mm-hmm. than yeah. second generation Asian American guys. And I'm like, yeah, obviously, and. Um, and I think this is one of the reasons, like we second generation Asian Americans can't even enjoy things um, without thinking they're bad solely because they're associated with us. Because mm-hmm. objectively speaking, um, being good at math, being good at martial arts are really positive things. And I understand when people have a problem with them when they're used negatively, like you're, you're good at math, but you're only good at math. You're, you're good at martial arts, but you're just like a, you don't have a humanity or a soul. I get that. But if that happens to be one of your traits along with a whole bunch of other things, I don't see why that's a problem. And some of these people, I think even if they were, these traits were part of a bigger character, they just instinctively are repulsed by, by these just because they're Asian. I think the, so accent, associated with the accent thing on the Bechdel test is actually the, the best example, right? Because if the accent is played up as a joke 
as opposed to just like the accent is just the accent the character has. It's yeah. a really different story. And I think one of the best characterizations of this, like this debate, is around um, the character Appa, the dad in Kim, Kim's Convenience. He has an yeah, accent. Yeah. And the guy who plays him, uh, I don't remember his last Paul something Lee, I think. Paul Hyunsung Lee or something yeah, like yeah. that. He, yeah, yeah. He, he is a, I think he's second gen, maybe he's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Um, if you actually hear his voice when he's just like talking, he's, he doesn't really have an accent. And he puts it mm-hmm. on, right? He obviously puts it on. And I think, I think he's talked about this too. But the idea is that like, look, an Asian dad would have an accent. Yeah, there's <laughs> right? no, so, no such thing as yeah, an Asian dad but, his but, age who doesn't but more, have an accent. But more importantly, <laughs> his character isn't flattened into this weird stereotype, this weird joke, right? And his accent is like, maybe it's a little bit funny, but it's not, it's not really a joke. It's not the point. He's, he himself says funny lines that has nothing to do with the way he, he you know, vocally sounds. There's a yeah. difference there, right? Likewise with like martial arts and like math and stuff. If it's played up as like the only characteristic of the Asian character on a TV show, that's very different than just like it gets mentioned or they say they like it or they have a Bruce Lee poster in the room or whatever that these blue checks think is embarrassing. Right. But to make someone well-rounded, you have to exclude specifically those. I don't think that's necessary. That's what I, yeah, that's <laughs> but, what I was but saying. But the problem is that it, it, make, it gives them, it makes their hair stand up. It makes them cringe. I get, I get the feeling that they have. I just don't agree with them, you know? Yeah. See, my thing is this, it's, you know, I got a lot of tweets back that were saying like, um, white people decided that their vague notions of honor and obedience were going to be the two defining characteristics of Asian folks everywhere. And as a result, they got really, really upset when they encounter real Asian people with personalities. But my thing was like, who cares what white people decide? And are Asian people genuinely upset by these notions? Or are they just upset that that's how white people see them? Because we don't, like, when we see those things, we don't look at other Asian people like that. But we are thinking, oh, God, like, white people are are going to make fun of us for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have this we, is have exactly what white people we... love to make fun of us for. But we don't, like, I don't know. The thing is, in in new Asian American media, right, like Crazy Rich Asians, um, uh, you know, Minari coming up, um, you know, a whole bunch of things uh, coming out now, right, post-CRA, like, has it gotten better? Have we gotten over these tropes? No, because this, I mean, these tweets are coming out, like, very recently. And these are blue check people. Yeah, and I I think uh, this... Like when you talk about assimilation and, you know, caring too much about what white people think, I think this was perfectly encapsulated in the Eddie Van Halen, a <laughs> passing of Eddie Van Halen, which uh, caused a lot of Asian Americans, both of the blue check and, you know, non-blue check variety to suddenly claim him um, because he was, I think, a, a quarter Indonesian. I think his, his mother was, was Hapa. His mother is half Indonesian, half Dutch. Right, but she looks and, full Indonesian. Right, and then most people don't know this because you know Eddie Van Halen looks completely white. I think he's spoken a couple of times about you know being growing up in in a mixed race household, but he obviously wasn't up uh, you know proclaiming at every chance he got. And mm-hmm. and I think not that he should have. I'm not, I'm not saying he should have, but you know that's his private business. Uh, and then you know I think it's perfectly fine to acknowledge that. Hey, it's interesting fact. He happened to be. Uh, you know, a quarter Asian, but you got some mm-hmm. of these people, they're like, oh my God, like if I had known this when I was a kid, um, it would have changed my life. I'm like, what exactly, why exactly would that have changed your Another life? Another blue check person right. that said that and a right. Pulitzer Prize winner. Oh uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. Um, as no, he will tell everyone. 
Well, it's Viet Thanh Nguyen, the the mm-hmm. the author. Um, yeah. so it's like okay, I would get it if let's say like Eddie Van Halen looked really Asian, and you know, mm-hmm. no matter what his actual like heritage is. You know, if you look Asian, you get treated Asian. So you're like, okay, uh, if he can make it, so can I. But he doesn't even look Asian. Well, he doesn't look anything like us, yeah. So what I'm thinking is these people deep down must secretly think that Asianness is this some kind of like inhibitor to whatever they want to accomplish. And seeing this uh, white passing person who has a quarter Asianness nevertheless succeed, and I think most crucially uh, become beloved by white people, uh, means so much to them that, hey, Maybe if if a quarter Asianist doesn't hold you back, maybe maybe half Asianist, maybe full Asianist won't hold me back, and it's such a destructive way of thinking. Yeah, it doesn't work. He doesn't look anything like us. Like if you're getting bullied on the playground and you're being called like a chink or a gook, I'm sorry, but screaming like, "Hey, Eddie Van Halen was Asian too," it's not going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so weird. It's not going to help you at all. He doesn't look anything like us, and that's like that's what really matters. Like if you just don't look Asian. People aren't going to see you as Asian and they're not going to treat you like you're Asian. Just to be explicit right. about what we mean that by that, right? You're saying because he wasn't perceived as Asian growing up, he did not come across all the, you know, all the barriers we think an Asian person would have uh, None of on, them. Their way, on their way to becoming like one of the greatest guitarists and musicians of, of you know, the generation, yeah. right? But so, there are other guitarists who have done it though. Like, Joey Santiago, full Filipino. He's in the Pixies. Uh, Arnel Pineda is now the lead singer of Journey. And Kirk Hammett is in Metallica. He's half Filipino. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not saying that if Eddie Van Halen were to, you know, want to join some kind of like Asian club, we're, I'm not, we're not going to be like, oh yeah, only only fools allowed. But to uphold him as some kind of like trail, I'm like, what, what, what did he... What trail that was my did he problem blaze? too. I was like, <laughs> if you are so desperate for like Asian representation in American rock band, like there's so many others. There's like, um, there's James Eha in Smashing Pumpkins. They oh, were yeah. a pretty big band mm-hmm. in the '90s. Yeah, one of the biggest of of the '90s. Okay, so I think this is what is most disturbing. I, I think it betrays these people. I think secretly have this very racist, centralist view of race. They will always deny it because. The, the kind of like PC thing to say if you're liberal or progressive is to say race is a social construct, right? With that, it, it's this mutable, uh, undefined category, which is why uh, we, and, I, and I, I agree with that in that race is essentially comes down to what you look like in society. Yeah. Um, and that's how it defines your racial experience. We're always talking about lived experiences. Well, you can't have that experience if, if nobody treats you a certain way. Mm-hmm. Right. But what these people seem to indicate by their you know, insistence on, you know, like somebody like Eddie Van Halen or someone like, say, like a Kyler Murray, who's an NFL quarterback. He's a quarter Asian, but, you know, totally looks black and identifies as black. And, you know, I think as he should. When they obsess over their Asianness, you're getting to a very racist, centralist, like biological determinist type of view where you're like, no, no, no. See, like if, if you take someone like Kyler Murray, you know, that proves that his quarter Asianness didn't hold him back from becoming uh, you can NFL quarterback because I'm sure in their in their mind they have the stereotype that an Asian can't be uh, athletic enough to play football or something. It it, mm-hmm. sh- it, it shades into like that that like one drop rule, right? Like one drop of black blood is enough to make you black and therefore inferior. Like that whole idea. In this view, it's like the one drop Asian rule, and their fears that even one drop of Asian blood will prevent you from doing this or this or that. And then these people stand as living proof that that's not true. Okay, so I think Eliza, you were in a bunch of replies like pointing this out to various people did anyone respond to you because i kind of wonder how these people like if they're would their heads explode if they just heard chris's 
you know, little monologue just now. They're like, oh, this is actually kind of fucking racist, what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I think so. Because they think that they are being very inclusive and like intersectional. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we talked about it with like Brazil, where it's like the one. So so in America, the, the way you just the way you, you just uh, framed it, it's like the one drop rule applied so that if you had any black blood in you, um, you could be purchased as a slave you could be somebody's property and so because whites outnumbered blacks they made they had to make it so that like how can we justify making more of these people property right yeah and then you know i think that we talked about it in the signal chris you brought it up that in brazil it was like the reverse because blacks outnumbered whites in brazil and so they didn't need that they didn't need that one drop rule. There was plenty of people to choose from to just uh, steal and then trade as if they were like, you know, human livestock. Not only that, but like the, the Portuguese settlers uh, needed to uh, intermarry with, with the black population because there weren't enough white people to marry. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. to serve these people's interests, they don't want their children becoming slaves or considered mm-hmm. black. So uh, Brazil did have the one drop rule, but it went the other way. It, right. It's called mm-hmm. hyperdescent, where uh, a bit of whiteness makes you white, which is why in Brazil you'll have, uh, for example, someone like you know Neymar or you know or the great uh, soccer player Ronaldo, not Cristiano Ronaldo. This is Ronaldo Nazario. Mm-hmm. You know they would be probably considered black in America, but they actually consider themselves white in the context of Brazilian society. They do this in certain Southeast Asian countries too, because I heard that like in Indonesia, the one drop rule will be used, but. Um, to like to, to benefit them um, as whites, so like someone could have like a great great grandfather who's Dutch, and they'll be like, "I'm half Dutch." <laughs> Might have right? to work on your math there, fella. Yeah, but <laughs> and uh, it seems to be so. What so like what I see happening here in the U.S. is that it's becoming very beneficial for whites to claim some sort of like other ethnicity. To, to make that, like, you know, to, like, distance themselves from, like, the yucky, you know, white supremacist. Yeah. So, like, you know, like Elizabeth Warren. Um, she's, like, what is oh, yeah. it, one sixteenth Native American? Or was it less than that? Possibly less. I don't even know. But she yeah. knew that it would benefit her to not be full white. But everyone mm-hmm. saw that as being completely idiotic, and it was one of her, like, greatest Well, I think mishaps, she took it right? too far. Uh, she, did, that yeah. she looks completely white and and just her, like her even like her personality she's like so white her age and I, I think the fact that she uh deliberately took advantage of something like an affirmative action program but if, if she were like younger and maybe she she looked she was i don't know she was a bit more tan and she you know w- w- just hung out in certain like circles that you know wanted to have like more diverse people she could probably get away with it yeah but you're, well, you're it's just why you see so many of these people who are like just perfectly white they're like you know just walking around the world as white people suddenly claiming some sort of asianness all of a sudden when they make it big like darren chris from glee he's like one what is he a quarter filipino something filipino and it's yeah, like he like doesn't that. like you've been a white guy forever or like Haley steinfeld from bumblebee uh, mm-hmm. She was like um, the one of the youngest people ever to be nominated Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars for True Grit. 
And like, it turns out that she's like one eighth Filipino. And so now she's going around calling herself the first Asian American to be nominated best supporting actress. Oh, and it's calling- like, no, that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. What about, what, about, what about Chloe Bennett, who like can't make Chloe up her Bennett mind? Chloe Bennett is, well, she's half, right? That's right. But she, but she changed her last name. But Chloe she has Wang been to trying to pass herself off as a white person forever. Yeah. Right. She looks totally white but too. She, and there are, I mean, there are lots of people who are half Asian who like present as very ethnic or full yeah, Asian. Sure. Yeah, you only present the ethnic side if it advantages you, right? Like that's otherwise you you make sure you just yours. can't escape it. Mm-hmm. Oh, because you like look someone at, like look, a, a Harry Golding, he can't escape it. What like looking looking kind of Asian? Yeah, because he, he looks pretty Asian. Asian. He looks Asian. Ah, when when CRA came out, I know a lot of people debated whether or not he was Asian passing or white passing. Well, he's definitely not white passing. I think he would say that um, he definitely looks more mixed than say like uh, what the guy who played Colin, Chris, Chris uh, something. Chris Pang. Yeah, Chris Pang. Definitely the looks one more. In, um, yeah, oh, yeah, Chris Pang. The one that's in Palm Springs. Yeah, right. I don't know. I I disagree. That's where you and I, Chris, disagreed there because I think that Harry Golding looks full Asian. I think he looks full Filipino. He does look very Asian. He looks, looks more Asian than um like like. Like uh, I think to a Filipino person, he looks <laughs> yeah. full. Maybe uh, what what is he supposed to be? Half Chinese in the movie? No, no like what's his actual? I think he's. Half. I think he's half Indonesian yeah. and uh, half English. He looks. I, I don't know. He looks Asian to me. Yeah, uh, I think he does look quite a- Asian. Um, but actually, uh, Philip, I tw- I tweeted something like, um, okay, so if we're going to say Eddie Van Halen, who just like looks white, is Asian, then what the hell do we get mad at Emma Stone for? Because, you know, she still gets grief <laughs> for playing a uh, Hapa woman in Aloha, you know, the movie that nobody cared about except for it, the Media Matters crowd. Uh, and then I got some pushback on that. Um, and then I started seeing the type of arguments that, that got me kicked out of the Asian American subreddit, <laughs> in which people started, uh, by people, I just mean really one person, but I'm sure like a lot of people, uh, agreed with this person but she said that like essentially said that that white passing a or not white passing call them white asians are mm-hmm. asians too and posited that essentially that uh you know these full yellow uh oppressors were oppressing this minority of, of white asians and it's it's a mentality that i ran into a lot in, in the asian american subreddit and it, it's one that one that positions like white passing asians as as i said some kind of oppressed minority i'm just thinking like were are we the i think we might be the only minority group in america that does that you think can you imagine like say white latinos claiming that they're they're oppressed by like mestizos or i think uh, that they do though there's a but, there's a discussion of colorism is a little bit different yeah right wait what it, do you mean like there's a discussion about like the paler your skin the more advantaged you are rather than discussion of like half as a completely different group than full Asians and they oppress each other. You know, it's it's they it's the same argument, but I think they just use different um they they use different terms to describe it. Uh, you they you mean Latinos? Right. Well, because for them, colorism is a bigger thing, and for us, mm-hmm. like when when Asians um are mixed, it's like your whole head shape just changes too. Oh, um, not just uh, your color. That I mean, also- it's like that with with I think it's that with every race. It's not like um, it's not like they are. It's only about shades of. When we say colorism, it does mean other things as well. I think colorism is just. You mean like the, your actual like traits, like your actual yeah, like, like no, bone you know, structure? like no shape, you know, like no shape, for Eyes example. Shape. 
Yeah, things like that. Um, hopefully, we don't sound like we're getting into phrenology here, but this is that is the truth. That <laughs> they started. You know, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just this weird ideology among Asian Americans where apparently even like okay, what to them white supremacy? We live in like a systemic white patriarchal society, whatever. But uh, when it comes to Asians, looking more white is somehow makes you part of a press class in Asians, and I think it's because. Um, among Asian Americans, among like the elite class of Asian Americans, uh, they're very invested in assimilation. These are the ones who go to the Ivy Leagues. Their social circles uh, are much more diverse than though, because this ultimately I think comes down to class. Because if you look at say somewhere like New York City, like the the better off you are as an Asian American, like if you're the type of Asian American who lives in like the Upper East Side or Chelsea or like Williamsburg or whatever, you're gonna have a more diverse circle than like those Asians who live in like Bensonhurst or Flushing or Chinatown. So in Asian America, the more diverse uh, and you know so-called inclusive you are, uh, chances are you're part of the upper class. And I think this is them just trying to justify their social behavior somehow more enlightened and progressive than those of the lower class Asians who tend to be more like monoracial or monoethnic. Yeah, there's always that accusation of like Asians only hang out with Asians, right? They come from these classes. I get that. I, I just, yeah. I just, for me, like this whole Van Halen thing. I just, I just buy the kind of simpler argument or, or you know, sad point that these people are basically saying, you know, we can only be successful if we're white passing, mm. right? Like that. That's just, just at a very basic level. Like that's kind of what you're saying. I don't saying know if that's what they're saying, to be honest. So what, what is it then? I honestly think that. They just want p- other people around them to see like, hey, we're not all chinky looking. Like, hey, look, Eddie Van Halen <laughs> is Asian and oh my God, like the Zach from Saved by the Bell is Asian and he oh, just looks God, like a that blonde is the surfer myth. boy. And it's like, see, we're <laughs> not all chinks. Well, see, if you, we if you look at the We can be blonde and like surfer and we eye. can be like heavy metal, like rock guitarist too. Yeah, but only if you're like three quarters Dutch, like it's ridiculous. Right, like right, and I, I think they want to separate being like Asian uh, from looking Asian. I think I think mm. Liza, that might be the point you're trying to make that they are actually deep down uh, ashamed of looking Asian. So they want to f- come up with this definition of Asian where you don't actually you, you could actually that look includes white. very white passing people. Right, and and they actually want to turn Asianness into almost like a kind of like a religion, like Judaism, <laughs> where you know to be Jewish is both. An ethnicity, but also a religion. You can convert to Judaism. It doesn't uh-huh. mean you have to like somehow go back in time and, and you know make sure your ancestors are, are born in you know what uh, in the Middle East or whatever. Uh, it, it, you can you can technically convert to Judaism, even though it's not commonly done. And I think that's kind of what they want Asian Americans to be. To be this nebulous um, state of mind where sure you can be part of it if you look it, but hey, if you you know like our food or hang out with a bunch of Asians, you can be Asian too, because I think from birth, second gen, Asian Americans are deeply, deeply insecure and always want to feel like we belong to to a bigger group. Yeah. It's a certain it's a certain generation though. I feel like it's getting better with Gen Z a little bit better. At yeah, hopefully. You, if you look at the stuff like the kind of social groups that that are around like around younger, you know, teenage kids or like college kids now, it's a little bit better. But there's definitely this like millennial group that we're part of that is massively embarrassed about who they are. Ah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah. our generation, right? <laughs> uh, yes. Um. Okay. Uh. I want to get to one last thing. Just shortly. Apparently, Yelp has now started this <laughs> thing where they will 
put a badge on your Yelp page if you are accused of racism. <laughs> Certainly nothing can go wrong with that because we all know what a fair place Yelp is to restaurants. I want to know what this, restaurants. this like you are racist badge looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Angry like finger wagging person. But didn't person. Yelp yeah. themselves get accused of like racism and sexism in their I'm, own yeah, offices? Yeah, definitely. And I think this is like their deflection. And it just pisses me off because, I mean, first of all, Restaurants have just been so clobbered by uh, COVID that this is mm-hmm. like, I mean, Yelp already was unfair to them because they're just at their whims of the most narcissistic, you know, <laughs> stuck up, Karen's. Uh, whatever people. But now they got to deal with this on top of all their economic <laughs> hardships. Yeah. You know where it's going to go wrong. It's going to go wrong when some anti-masker walks in and they're told to put on a mask and then... um you know, words will be exchanged and somebody will just be like, you know what, let's just accuse the the restaurant of racism because, you know, like, or some sort of like prejudice uh, because, um, you know, anti-maskers are going around feeling how they feel so under attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I think some people are trying to defend this by saying that, oh, you'll only get the badge if it's like reported in the media. But that's even worse. That's even worse because like the media just pulls stories from Twitter and stuff these days. <laughs> and it's not like they verify. Yeah. I'm just think, trying to think what would happen to a place like Trap Tea, you know? Uh, remember that place? In, I think it was in Colorado where um, a black woman went in there, uh, wanted to accuse them of cultural appropriation. Uh, but then she started getting really just, you know, out of hand with everyone. Even told another black man who told her to calm down, called him a, a coon, you know? <laughs> Just like, Man. But if that video didn't exist and it just went up in like, say, the, the, the you know, Denver Times or whatever, oh, you know, uh, Asian bubble tea place accused of racism. What if that goes up on Yelp? Uh, you can't recover from that. You no, know, you can't. They retract it like a week later. As if these small businesses like <laughs> needed anything else. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And, and, and another thing that pisses me off about this is that this is like the perfect example of like all this righteous rage about racism uh existing in society but uh, you know remember the whole like defund police thing which kind of seems to have totally lost steam and then who gets who gets like the blame in the end uh restaurants like really this is <laughs> this is where our energy has been directed to and probably by yelp to deflect from their own racism and sexism which i'm sure they've been accused of in the past it's just Definitely. total bullshit yeah no idea how they're gonna police this shit it doesn't make any sense I, th- I think this is just a PR move and I, I don't think they're going to implement it because they're not going to actually do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they just they, want to announce it. Hey, this is what we're doing. And then, uh, and then just to deflect and then, and then from what, their like, get, own. Get yeah. Before, they must have like, they must have had like a story coming out about them. Yeah. Possibly. About what it's like to work in their offices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's obviously <laughs> going to be totally abused if it happens. But on, on a happier note, we've talked. About, we're going to talk about these two movies we really like, uh, Soul Searching and Better Luck Tomorrow. So, uh, hope you enjoy it. All right. So, why don't we talk uh, Soul Searching? I also love this movie, and I was, and I felt kind of bad for putting it on the the sidelines for so long because yeah, so did I. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. it got like pretty good reviews, but you know, it wasn't something that that made a huge splash. I I tweeted about this recently, and somebody said, "Oh, well, maybe." you just missed it because it came out a lot of publications wrote up about it but you know how the LA Times made that like best uh, top 20 or 25 Asian American films I think they published it last year mm-hmm. yeah. I think Soul Searching came in like 50th or somewhere between like 30 and 50 so it was definitely not highly that highly regarded but well, even I mean, the I Rotten Tomatoes it. rating is not that high which is surprising right. to me yeah. yeah but also we know that we can't really 
put too much stock in that anymore. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I kind of went into it with um, it, having it being hyped up by the two of you. <laughs> Liza, you said you cried like what, at least like three times or something. Mm-hmm. I was not <laughs> expecting that. Yeah, just just once for me. <laughs> but um, but no, it was great. I It starts off kind of like throwing a bit of a, not a, well, it throws a curveball eventually because it starts off kind of looking really stupid. Like all the stereotypes of the different characters, like the, just the fact that like there's a Sid Lee character that Justin Chan plays. I was like, it's this a is very so aggressive arrival scene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, you know, they have their like little kind of uh, like entrances with their little dances and stuff. You're like, what the hell am I getting into, right? Um, <laughs> what was funny about that scene to me was, well, this is the 80s. So back in the 80s, if you were coming, you know, if you were a Korean American or like a Kyopo, mm-hmm. uh, you were, you know, the fashion forward. What's a, what's a Kyopo? Is that like a, like it a. It means like an overseas, like a diaspora. Okay. Like a Vitkyu, but for uh, Koreans. Yeah. Still am if you're Filipino. Got it, yeah, right, but now right. it would be reversed. Like if, if you're like Korean American and you went to Korea, you'd probably be the dowdy one. And it would be like the <laughs> Koreans coming from Korea, coming to America who would be doing. So I thought that was a that was a funny reversal because definitely mm. back in the 19, this was what, 1985, 1986. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was even before the 88 Olympics, which was kind of the, the symbolic uh, turning of Korea. Because a lot of people think like of Korea today and they, they think it's been like that, you know, since like the 70s or something no but even in the 80s korea was like a dictatorship it was relatively poor even like north korea was somewhat ahead of it uh industrially because they had a lot of help from the soviets so you know 1985 86 korea is south korea you know wasn't that well off mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i like it because it's a bunch of diasporic asians who find happiness by going back to their homeland and in this case it's korea um and this is like you know me, this is a storyline that I would like to see more of because it's like my own fantasy, my own escapism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a movie with a lot of self-pride too. Yeah. And not only do they go back to their homeland to to like find happiness, but they find it amongst each other. And this was the first Asian American movie I saw in which Asian Americans bonded with each other over each other positively over their shared Asian Americanness. Although a lot of characters here aren't American, they're from like Mexico or Germany or the UK. So right, right. when I say yeah. Asian American, I just mean Korean, like overseas. That's the yeah. that's the whole like they their differences are in nationality and not ethnicity. But they're bound by speaking English. They're bound by having kind of Western like you know influences in their lives, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not non-Korean influences in their lives, right? So. Right. So whether it's by ethnicity or nationality, actually, it's, it's like a positive bonding. Whereas something like Better Luck Tomorrow, they are all Asian American, but you get the sense that they're, they're friends with each other as a last resort or there's like a shared anger that bonds them. Whereas mm-hmm. with Soul Searching, it's a, it's a shared happiness because, yeah, they come there first and they're like, yeah, I don't want to be there, especially someone like Sid. But by the end, they've, they've truly become friends because they are Korean. I like Soul Searching because there's no other races in it. You can do all the character, the, the, the 80s teen movie character archetypes, and right. you can do all the John Hughes worship, and you never fall into like, you don't have to fall into the whole representation and like, I don't know, am I, am I racially stereotyping? Do you think it was highly influenced by John Hughes? Like I, Oh yeah, for sure. Yes. Even down to the soundtrack. They yeah, have, the whole um, thing. The, if you Purists leave, which will was call like the, it derivatives, the song. but I, I love John Hughes movies, so it doesn't bother me mm. at all. This is fun. You say it's a right. good imitation. It's like a it's a successful imitation. Oh, w- one of the things that Chris just said was that like down to um, the soundtrack, the soundtrack. So like yeah. um, something interesting to know about John Hughes movies, like Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, uh, Breakfast Club. Uh, uh, you know, those movies are what brought new wave 
to the forefront and like popularized it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times John Hughes would already have his songs picked out and he would write scenes around those songs. And then yeah, tie a movie together. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, did you um did you guys notice uh I mean we, we talked about Lost in Translation in a previous episode. They also used Just Like Honey in uh mm-hmm. one of one oh, of their scenes. That mm-hmm. yeah, that song comes on like, oh, uh, I, I, you know, it's that song from Lost in Translation. There's, but there's this common thread between the two movies of like overlaying American, very American uh, mm-hmm. music and American soundtrack in a Asian setting, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And I think it's some. It's obviously about kind of the kids bringing their music over, or bringing their culture over, and trying to like live it while they're in Seoul. Um, but uh, like, it, it's interesting because like, you would would the movie be better or very different if they played say Korean music from the '80s? Right, they were at that I club was kind of point. thinking in terms of like, like new wave. I don't know about Korea, but I know that like in Southeast Asia, like the Philippines, new we- new wave music exploded back in the eighties. Yeah, like Erasure, um, New Order, Depeche right. Mode. Right, right. All those bands were exactly what everybody was listening to back then. If you had a movie like Soul Searching, where you had a bunch of diasporic Koreans come into Seoul, like in 2020, 2019, you know it's going to be a completely K-pop soundtrack, right? You know they're yeah, not. Yeah, it would not be an over, American soundtrack. No, yeah, they're not bringing over like Nicki Minaj at this point, right? Like, there's no <laughs> point because um, the dot, like the the scales have tipped. I think, right? Back right. Then, the culture is all. It's go. It's it's going in the opposite direction now. Mm-hmm. It's um, they are exporting their culture now. Right. Right. Yeah, I've I've been in denial for a while just because I, I generally hate everything about the '80s. But after all this, <laughs> I gotta admit, I think I do like '80s music. Like even even the music today, you know, like like you know, synth pop and all that. I, I do really like it. I really like the soundtrack. Have you never played Grand Theft Auto Vice City? Like Grand Theft Auto Vice City, like the radio stations are all obviously in the '80s, Flock right? Of like right. Flock of Seagulls. I ran one of the best <laughs> tracks. It, yeah. It's all one hit wonders, but they're all excellent. Right. I never really like Vice City that much, though. Uh, I'm more of a San Andreas guy. Okay. I think San Andreas yeah. is better. <laughs> but anyway, getting back on track. All right. Let's, so let's let's talk about a movie um, more more in detail. It stars Justin Chan. Mm-hmm. This is like Justin Chan before he became like the the, the artiste Justin Chan. So I think this is more <laughs> this is more like the OC Justin Chan. This is post this is post Twilight, but pre like um, Gook Gook. Right. Yeah. What when? Did, but not that far because this was. This came out like 2015, right? Yeah, 2015. Gook came out in 2018. You know what's so funny mm-hmm. is that one of my friends, um, I, I, re- I recommended this movie to one of my friends and she texted me back and she was like, I was Wikipediaing all the characters, um, all the actors in the movie. And she's like, everybody is like 40 now. <laughs> so yeah. that means that they were like 35 playing teenagers yep. when, when they were filming this movie. Yep, kind of strange. I think it's just because, like, to a Western audience, um, Asian teenagers that are like eighteen or nineteen, they tend to they tend to look like they're twelve to um, Western people, including well, including they, Asian they, Americans. They look really young, so like to mm-hmm. put them in situations that are very sexual would be so uncomfortable to look at. Yeah, well, they do that with all actors in general. But I think with, with Asians, we could probably get away with maybe another like few years. Yeah, that they couldn't. Yeah, with, with I white was gonna actors. say that like if if like a white guy is thirty five, you know, like a DiCaprio, he starts playing like a dad in movies, and like when Asian dudes like Justin Sean are thirty five, he's playing like nineteen year old high school Sid <laughs> in Soul Searching. Yeah, yeah. 
Although I will say, oh, we'll talk about Better Luck tomorrow after this. But there were some actors in there, namely like Sung Kang, who was not a mm-hmm. high school. When he was like, oh, he already looks kind of. He's the one in he Fast way and the Furious, old, right? You know, yeah, no, but did you know that that's actually the same character, Han? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a crossover. I, I, I didn't know that. I just found out like yesterday. So, someone told me when I when I said that, um, when I was talking about how we were going to pod about Better Luck Tomorrow, they were just like, LOL, oh, the prequel to Fast and the Furious. Yeah, yeah I didn't is, realize that. Yeah, it's in the same universe. Yeah, I, I didn't <laughs> know that. There's a universe. So, so that's why when I saw like Sun Kang in that movie, all I saw was like Han from like Fast Five, and yeah. he was supposed to be like a high schooler. Like, like, what's, yeah, what's, right. that, what's that like gangster doing with these? Thirty. <laughs> yeah. So, like, yeah, the the Asian aging down doesn't always work, but um, <laughs> yeah. So that's all I wanted to say. So, I mean, this this movie is all about these like Korean kids, um, you know, from America, from Europe, from Latin America, and they go to this. Uh, like summer camp in in Korea that apparently kind of existed for a little bit in the 1980s. Yeah, explain explain what it is. It's like a Yeah, I guess it's kind of like the the Taiwan the Taiwanese love boat thing which mm-hmm. uh you know anybody who read like uh, Fresh Off the Boat by Eddie Huang knows about. I think mm. the thing in Taiwan's still going on. I'm not sure, but so to so think of it as kind of like birthright for for Koreans. Right. I looked it up and I found um since I found this interview with Ken Jong who's Surprisingly, one of the producers of the oh, movie. Oh, damn. I hated that fact. I was like, God damn it. I now saw that at the end. I, I was gotta like, get ah. credit where credit is due. And it's like, yeah, you know what? This is, Ken Jong did something good. Yeah, this is part of the whole thing about how he, like, behind the scenes does a lot of work for Asian Americans, right? So I can see yeah, him jumping right on Yeah, he's the one that purchased the movie at Sundance, right? It's him. Or at least he got, he was the one that arranged the deal. Anyway, he said that back in the 80s, the Korean government developed a summer program with camps that allowed the, uh, the children of Korean immigrants to actually return to their origins and mm-hmm. learn about the culture of the place. And uh, the camps were, he said, these camps were especially important because, as we are told, since the Korean War, a huge amount of people migrated to a vast variety of countries where they established and eventually formed a family. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we got a whole cast of characters. We, we mentioned uh, the main character played by Justin Chan, uh, Sid Park. He fancies himself like a Sid Vicious. He's always mm-hmm. wearing like a leather jacket that has spiked his hair, always smoking. <laughs> then uh, there's uh, Grace, who's this like Madonna. Madonna. She dresses like Madonna and, and talks about having a lot of sex. Turns out she's like the daughter of a pastor and she's actually quite reserved. And But she so can drink he, a lot. Though. Um, so is Sid. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like Sid can't really drink and he likes to act tough, but he's, you know, he just wants his dad to love him. <laughs> and then um, there's the main teacher played by, and I was very surprised at this, uh, this pretty famous Korean actor named Chang Pyo. What is he known for? So he's mainly known for, because he was in probably like the the first like Korean drama to really become an international hit, in, mm. at, at least in the context of Asia. It was called Star in My Heart. It's like a typical Cinderella story uh, starring this actress who's very popular, uh, named Che jin which her, her story is so sad. Like she like ended up committing suicide. Her husband committed suicide. Like I don't really know the details, but I remember hearing about it. And you know, these people are just like dropping like flies and just like, man, what's going on? But anyway, the story is like, is about this poor girl. I think she gets like taken in by this rich family as, as like a worker or something. Anyway, she has to choose between two really attractive guys, one of whom is a pop star and the other guy who was played by this guy, 
Chai Pyo, and then he plays. Did you say that the Did you say the other guy was like the attractive one, and then and then there's this guy? Because I was like, this guy's attractive. This, this guy's oh, no, they're really they're hot. both attractive. Like they're you know <laughs> the the first and you know second male leads in any typical Korean mm-hmm. drama. This guy played mm-hmm. the second male lead, but he's like the poor one or something, right? He's like probably like the the you know not so famous like yeah, working he's, class he's guy. Who's not the pop star? Yeah. Uh, so I saw him. Like, oh my god, he's in it. This is this guy's like a legit like Korean star and. I was surprised his English was so good. It turned out he went to Rutgers. So he oh, might yeah. have actually been like 1.5 gen or something. So he plays like this teacher who's like kind of gruff, but, you know, he has his demons and he actually ends up bonding with Sid a lot, which was really mm-hmm. nice to see. And then, um, you know, there's like a whole bunch of characters. Uh, Liza, you really like Klaus, the the guy from Germany. I like Klaus uh, and the teacher. And uh, my favorite couple is Chris and Klaus. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's a really nice story. Chris yeah. is the adoptee girl mm-hmm. who ends up having... Uh, a reconciliation I, sorry with guys spoiler mother. alert i i wouldn't listen anymore if you <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which, which i found to be very moving uh, that restaurant uh, that scene where they're at the cafe um, mm-hmm, okay. mm-hmm. spoilers whatever if you're listening to this uh you should have watched the movie before you listen to this let's just say <laughs> you yeah. should have known better <laughs> right and then uh i really like sergio the guy from mexico he was oh yeah he's another my, he's my other favorite he yeah he's very charming always happy he's always like trying to bring everyone together i hated and- military mike from the beginning but they give him a little bit of like a like a redemption nugget at the end the, like, yeah, yeah, but but the weird thing about that is, so he tries to, uh, let's say, Rape aggressively. Yes, he forces himself onto Grace, and then a Sid like kicks him in the face and, and rescues Grace. But he was but a the, jerk before that to like everybody. Right, right. Else. He he like drops the N word and stuff, which I actually like that they didn't censor that because yeah, this is like the eighties. This is this is like a kid mm-hmm, from the south mm-hmm. who's trying to emulate the behavior around him. He goes to the military academy, so uh, you, you know, they they just have him say it out loud, and then but and in the end he does show remorse about the the assault on grace but then he, he apologizes to sid so i was like wait, wait a minute shouldn't you say that to her i hope the implication was he already did that but then why not show that scene it was weird how he he apologized to sid so yeah that guy um no good and then um did you guys do some research on the casting like the individual actors and actresses it's like uh, my friend did and that's the one that told me about all their ages yeah beyond the ages the thing that that i found out that is really crazy is that all the actors and actresses are from the place that they're from in the movie. Like, I was the guy wondering about that because done, I was like, yeah. Klaus's Korean is really good, but also his German German's accent really is really he's good. A, he's a German-Korean actor. And Sergio oh, Sergio know. is a Mexican... Uh, is he Mexican? He's, he's from Spain. Latin, oh, he's from Spain. Okay. So yeah. he's, he's actually a Spanish speaker. Even the stupid... Like, the stupid... Um, uh, like British girl, who, yeah, yeah, like, she's from, who I thought she's, was American because she had a terrible British accent. She's from <laughs> England, so well, like I'm sure they uh, cast first, then wrote the backstories because it would have been mm, an yeah, incredible yeah. casting job if they were like, oh, let's let's have a German Korean guy just happen <laughs> to find uh, this actor who was actually also in a movie. Well, it's a Russian movie. It's called uh, A Summer in the English translation. It's all about mm. Victor Soy. Victor Soy, uh, yeah, of you know, very famous Soviet band. I saw that last year, uh, and it turned out to be the same guy. So there aren't that many like good German Korean actors around. Mm. So not too surprising. It turned out to be the same he's, guy. He's the one that you have to go to. He's got that on lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the story is is a series of hijinks. Uh, you know, they're basically at like a, a summer camp with very loose supervision. So you know, first night there, the guys and the girls they start drinking together very awkwardly, uh, which you know just makes it more endearing. And then they have a series of adventures i thought i love the scene where the the three guys sergio klaus and sid go into seoul and go to the club yeah. and uh sergio <laughs> like a moron tries hitting on that 
uh, gangster's, gangster's girlfriend, girlfriend. And then they get sat down, but then the, the gangster, I guess, assumes this very like mentor like role where he yeah. tries to teach them <laughs> about the importance of learning <laughs> Korean. And then Sid and Sergio are talking in English and just talking smack. And then Klaus is having to pretend they're saying, like, oh, you know, yes, sir, you know, I will obey. <laughs> I obey. And, and that find scene <laughs> at the club was like the perfect setup because Klaus has to um, loosely interpret for Chris later on when she meets her birth yeah, mother. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he has to like change the things around to protect her feelings. But Oh, like, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Shit. You know, it, it kind of gives you uh, some insight into the kind of person that he is, where mm-hmm. he, he always protects the feelings of others. But, you know, in a situation like Chris and her birth mother, there is no protection there. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, was my, he was my favorite, too. And I, I felt like all the characters, when you're, they're introduced to you, they all have these stupid stereotypes, like some really, really mm-hmm. extreme ones, like Sid and Grace. But they, they all get kind of, kind of redeemed or, you know, expanded on, right? Their and personalities. he needed no redemption. He didn't know that shit. No, but he but he was originally like, you know, the the, the uptight German guy. I right? thought that I was going to hate him because he comes in, he's got like, you know, he's got like the the, the pastel blazer and he's got yeah. his hair all slicked back, like like Miami Vice style. <laughs> yeah, uh, he says he wants to be like um, an investment banker. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I would hate you so much if I ever met you. He was the most assimilationist of, of all of them. Right. Almost everybody was a rebel except for for uh, Klaus, who was like, "Oh, I want my family to speak better German and so on," and that's why I True, speak to them yeah. in German. Meanwhile, and all this his stuff. Korean was the best. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Germans are naturally better at speaking pretty much every language, <laughs> right? Like their English. Is that true? Their English is like fucking like their English education is fucking spectacular compared to North American. Mm. Yeah, if you go to like Germany or Austria, their uh, their English impressive. is extremely good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, better than like England. Yeah, <laughs> and oh, so so Mr. Kim, the the teacher, uh, played by Chan Pyo, he actually reminded teacher. me of this. Yeah, mm-hmm. he actually reminded me of a, a very scary teacher I once had at Korean school, and he would, <laughs> you know, at Korean school, like you know, for for kids like me, it's it's kind of this obligation you do on the weekend, and a lot of people don't take it seriously. But I happened to have this one teacher who was like really just like stern. He was like a youngish guy too, and he was just like no nonsense. He made a couple of uh girls in our in my class cry and everything, but <laughs> yikes. <laughs> he uh you know he was like you know Chris like if you work hard I promise I'll make you like fluent in Korean and stuff. So he was very dedicated to his job and and Mr. Kim sort of reminded me of um, how is him. your Korean by the way, Chris? Uh you know I think it's like for someone who's grown up totally in North America, I think it's like somewhat okay. But obviously, uh, I mean, one of the things I tried to do in this lockdown is just expand my vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, just like memorizing words over and over, which I think is. The, I get you know, paid fun of for my accent take. a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. Because like, even if I, you, I it's weird because um, I'm I'm told that um, my Filipino accent is better when I'm speaking English, and then when oh, I, I speak Tagalog, huh. it's like I'm so focused on the pronunciation of the world words that um, the American accent comes out. Mm-hmm. yeah so why do you guys think this movie was overlooked because i think it's definitely overlooked uh especially given how good it is and then when like 2018 came out and you know something like crazy rich asians or yeah, like to all the boys i've loved before mm-hmm. uh-huh. it was all um uh, you know finally a movie either all about all about asians which is crazy rich asians or like uh, an asian american coming of age story which was what they said to all the boys i've loved before was i to that extent we'll debate that but um 
so but why do you think this movie got overlooked was it too indie or was it well, i don't know like was it too ahead of its time like in 2015 like media rep that the, the I, drive I don't wasn't think there it's ahead of its time 2015 is like smack in the middle of like when everybody was obsessed with representation and that's like yeah. so many people um you know, people who are very leftist now, I think a lot of people entered through one of those boba liberal causes, like mm-hmm. representation. And this is like some, like 2015. This is around like, I, kind of like the reckoning of race is, is around that time. So I'm like, I'm really confused why this movie was overlooked too. Either Benson Lee has like beef with someone in the industry, <laughs> which would be protected by someone like Ken Jeong because he is right. beloved by mm-hmm. the Asian me- liberal media elite. Or at least they can't talk smack about him openly. Yeah. Is it like a self pride thing about? Is it like too Korean? Like the the self pride is more about being Korean than it is about being Korean American. But but by that standard, then Crazy Rich Asians is like too Singaporean, uh, too That's Chinese true. Singaporean. Yeah, they, so. they don't really they don't really get into being Singaporean in that movie. They get it. They, they get into kind of being Asian, not even being Chinese specifically, right? Because maybe that's taboo. But like here is, it, is specifically, is it Korean. because these are these are actors that they are not like excited yeah. about yes. pushing? Like Constance Wu and like yeah. Harry Golding is who they really want to push. I think so because these are a bunch of even even Justin Chan, who may be the the highest built person on here or best uh-huh. known, is not super well known. And that coupled with being an indie film, film he's means definitely that it's, not. He's definitely not in that circle, at least. No, he's like B or C list or something, right? Like so, yeah. definitely. But like the farewell was an indie film, and that got a ton of push. Uh, I know Liza yeah, really don't like that movie. I like that movie. I mean, Lulu Wang yeah. is like the she's the wife of Barry Jenkins. I mean, that's such a like, you know, in the in the Hollywood woke crowd, that's like you know, that's like practically royalty. Maybe you think maybe that's what Soul Searching lacked that like that uh, woke hookness because it it lacks that. It's also like. Um, I don't think it had much of a theatrical release, which still mattered back in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that Netflix movies, I don't think that Netflix was pushing movies the way they do now. I think back then people were still using Netflix as like some sort of video archive of movies they've already seen. So new stuff kind of got overlooked. Um, I feel like if this was the 90s or the early 00s and Blockbuster was still around or like people watching movies on on uh, rotation on like HBO, I think that this would have gotten like a cult following the way Better mm-hmm. Luck Tomorrow did. Right. Was, was this released I, on Netflix? I, I, I feel that- like this came this came in the middle of a cultural shift and it like just got lost in in the whole shift. Which is such a shame because it's such a good movie. Yeah, it's better than a lot. I, mean, I think it's better than Better Luck Tomorrow. I mean, in my opinion. Do you guys feel like uh, uh, Better Luck Tomorrow is too? It's too boy centric for me. Yeah, I, I think it's like different types of movies. It's, it's also very dark. It's very bleak. Uh, Better Luck Tomorrow as well. Yeah, where well, um, this one's heartwarming, right? This is a very different tone of yeah. movie. Yeah, you uh, watch this movie; it just makes you so happy. Mm-hmm. Good soundtrack. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, do you feel like um, the farewell did well because it was riding on the coattails of? Um, uh, crazy rich Asians, right? Because crazy rich Asians, like the whole phenomenon there, was proving that. Yeah, I mean, it's got know, it's got the star power of star power and the, and the money and making power, right? The, like the fact that yeah, these- and it's got like you know, I, I'm sure that the, the the friend like people who are friends with like Lulu Wang and Barry Jenkins certainly had something to do with it. You have like big names. Um, I would say that like Black American directors are much more mainstream than Asian American mm-hmm. directors. 
Mm-hmm. So like Barry Jenkins and like Ava DuVernay, they were they were really championing um, the farewell, and they are pretty. They are very. Um, they're very mainstream. I mean, both of them are Oscar nominated, and Barry Jenkins already has his Oscar, right? He got it for Moonlight. Yeah, so he's he's Best Picture, and is he Best Director also? Uh, from the same actually, year? I don't know about that. I think so, but I, I'm too lazy to look it up right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 sorry, I, I I agree with the fact that like it got a lot of kind of more crowd. Um, uh, support but i think i'm what i'm saying is that like it became evident to hollywood that you can make money on a all asian cast or asian kind of subject matter movie after crazy rich asians right whereas soul searching came before and maybe because of that like people didn't want to push it you know into theatrical releases and whatnot because they felt like there wasn't money there right that, that's my take on it yeah yeah as far as as far as genre asian americans every single movie that we have talked about is always the same genre. It's that institutionalized genre where I feel like they do this so that they, they use that genre so they can cast as many Asian actors as possible to correct the lack of Asians in movies. <laughs> uh-huh. You know, like um, Soul Searching is uh, the institution would be the summer camp. So there's a whole group of them there. And then the farewell, the institution is um, it's the family. So Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of them there, and then Better Luck Tomorrow, also like a school group of friends, misfits, school high school misfits, right? High school misfits, yeah, right. yeah. All right, let, let's perfect transition to Better Luck Tomorrow. But before we do that, just want to say, uh, you know, we said Soul Searching ought to become a cult classic. So, you know, for everyone listening who has not watched it, go ahead. This is part of our effort to make it that. So, okay, now let's talk about Better Luck Tomorrow, which I had seen maybe I think over ten years ago. I recently rewatched it for this podcast i'm glad i did because there's like so much of it i don't remember all i really remember from the first time was like john cho getting his head bashed in so it's really <laughs> nice to see it again so that, that scene it was really nice to that see that first scene time again. i watched it and i saw that scene i was really i was pretty surprised i didn't expect anyone yeah. to get like killed and that brutally in a, in a gruesome way yeah and he's like yeah. still alive at the end oh if anyone up. is listening to this podcast and you haven't seen these two movies you just you have like the whole stories Right. Both the, the movies key part completely spoiled. spoiled for you already. Yeah, and and I, I do like Better Luck Tomorrow because I, I you know I look at it, it was made in what like two thousand and three very like early two thousands right. Mm-hmm. The and music sucks. What the, uh, when you rewatch it today, the music sucks. I don't remember the music, which probably means it did suck. Uh, <laughs> it was probably of its time, and that first decade of the two thousands was just just horrible music, abject cultural wasteland which i'm sad about because that's the decade i came of age and that was high school and college for me so who knows how irreparably <laughs> harmed uh, i've been and, and we've all been because we're all kind of like in the we're same all age irreparably bracket. harmed by- <laughs> <laughs> right so um i, I look at it and it, it's just so frank with the way it deals with a lot of asian american issues that mm-hmm. it kind of dismays me that almost 20 years later we have movies like crazy rich asians to all the boys i've loved before always be my maybe which are all just like candy coated you know let, let's talk let's be nice let's let's talk about things and yeah we said like soul searching did that too but i still thought that soul searching you know it really examined uh, the you know parental relationships whether it's between sid and his father or chris and her uh biological mother it really examined that whereas with the other movies it's all just fluffy so i'm like how do we regress so much uh, or Are just anybody's like, parents actually in better luck tomorrow see I that, can't, that's the thing they're like they're actually remember. not they're, they're not yeah, which, they're not there. 
Yeah, which no. I thought was a little jarring because with some of the characters, like the the Derek character, which I found the most chilling character, the the one played by Roger Fan, the 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 one the the reporter, you know, the the student journalist who sets off the whole things in action by saying that uh, Ben not getting playing time, mm-hmm. uh, whatever. Just he was like a true like sociopath. Like he's the one who like ultimately kills John Cho by I don't know stuffing benzene down his throat or something, which was a very disturbing scene. Um, <laughs> like him, his parents not being around, I could see if they were, he kind of seemed like an astronaut kid because he was living in this big house by himself. Some people even said like, I don't think his parents lived there, but yeah, like Ben's parents, you never see, uh, you know, the main character played by Perry Shen, uh, who I actually think is supposed to be Filipino, right? Based on his last name. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it, it sounded like a Filipino last name. I mean, Liza, yeah. you, you would know better. Are you talking about the main character? Yeah. Ben. Yeah. I thought he was Filipino too. Yeah. So, but, but the one complaint I, I do have about this movie was I, I didn't quite buy why they had to kill John Cho. Like, yeah, I get that he was a bit of a jerk to them, but, you know, did, did he really have to <laughs> didn't bash his head to in? Die. Right. So they either had to make John Cho way more of a jerk or they had to make the Ben character much, like, more mentally unstable as opposed to, like, a, you know, just like a general, you know, frustrated Asian American guy or something. So, or is it oh, just an accident? Because, I mean, Oh, it was no accident. He took like four swings at his head uh, when, you know, I think they had John Cho pretty much pinned to the ground in the garage. Oh, that's right. And then they held him back up and then they like made sure he was dead, right? Well, yeah, because he gets hit in the head several yeah. times, but he's still breathing. So then right. the, the Derek guy, he uh, tells Virgil to hold him. While okay, I well, say that he goes, like, there goes that theory. Yeah, I yeah. guess that's I, um, I guess I just kind of went with it for the movie sake. I was like, all right, well, we'll just, let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't really matter if it was realistic or not, right? The fact was that, like, it fucking happened to these, you know, like straight A kids, right? So what the fuck do you do at that point? Um, and mm-hmm. also, like, how did, how did they get to this point at that point? Like, right? So that, that was kind of interesting in the context of, like, imagining Asian American kids getting into this situation, uh, which was maybe unimaginable for a lot of people. Did you guys notice also, remember in that party scene when when the the, the crew crashed this party and then those like, the, that white jock like makes fun of them. And that's when uh, Derek first pulls out a gun yeah, on, yeah. on mm-hmm. someone. One of the, the guys making fun of him was actually Asian. And then later when, remember when Steve, the, the John Cho character is like drunk and he really starts talking shit to them, which is when Ben, the main character, who was on the fence about... Uh, you know, doing what they did to to John Cho. He was on the fence before, but after uh, John Cho like talks shit to him, that's when he decides, all right, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Like John, the John Cho character said something. Oh, like so, this is where all the Orientals hang out. There was this uh, palpable layer of just like this self loathing and overt self consciousness mm-hmm. that these Asian American characters had, which I think was very honest and mm. and what made the movie why I enjoyed the movie and why I liked it's like bleakness do you think that's uh do you think that that kind of that line and that the acting is easier for an asian american to pick up on than like say like a a white audience member for sure i think so yeah because it's almost a very like um like a privately understood thing personally understood thing right the self-loathing because like white people are attached to be like how can you be racist against your own race and they think that's a real gotcha (laughs) mic drop thing and like come on you know it's like (laughs) no it's a bit more complicated than that (laughs) right Oh, I, I love the fashion in this movie just because it was so bad. And I don't know if it was endemic <laughs> to that. Pants. Do you remember well, those Jenko jeans he wears in that one scene? You mean Virgil? 
because there's a scene when Virgil wears these pants that are so wide they look yes, yeah, they're, yes. Like skirt. they're like yeah they're like, two, they're like 2000s like raver uh, raver pants I had those they as a look kid. like um they look like um they look like scrub bubbles yeah yeah and and even like the normal pants that like say Ben the main character wears which are these kind of like khaki cargo pants they're so (laughs) wide-legged and and i remember you know everyone wore those pants back then and it's just so bad and you kind of understand why the skinny jean phase came for guys because i think people realize that (laughs) we're from one extreme to another (laughs) i was trying to look up because i was like i remember the soundtrack was enjoyable but then i realized it was just one song um there's like a la tigre song on there that i I thought was great but everything else (laughs) i gotta remember so maybe not (laughs) Yeah, it was definitely of a time, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, but it was made at that time as opposed to um, Soul Searching was, was made in 2015, but they were mm-hmm. emulating the 80s, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. So maybe they captured it better. I don't know. People did dress like that. People did have, like, I guess they did enjoy music like that. Um, you know, I don't know if it matters that it was of the time, but but it was... No, I think it was, it's very important that it was of its time. Like the, the band's like overly spiky haircut and everything. <laughs> it's, it's all a little little hard to watch but you know it is very accurate of that time nostalgic maybe uh, but nostalgia implies like you want to go back to that time i don't want to go back to that time <laughs> it is it is like a nice reminder though that of a bygone time that thankfully is no more yeah i mean maybe maybe the uh, the fact that it was a cultural wasteland is apropos to the fact that like they were growing up in this suburban wasteland right yeah i mean i just i just look at it like californian suburban like like high school environment it just so as i said so bleak it's I like know, yeah they had, these... they had like outdoor hangout areas which we don't have in canada and i thought it was kind of cool oh well, yeah because we got rain and shit to they had fucking with, outdoor they lockers like i was like holy shit they have this yeah. in california <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it just yeah it... <laughs> so it, it's a good movie but it brings you kind of bleak feelings is what you're saying right and but that's why i like it even the ending yeah. you don't i mean like I, I think they get away with it but it, you don't see the time it's only like a few days since they killed uh, John Cho, so you, you know, you're left to wonder what happens to them. There's no resolution. There's no even real remorse. Except there's among, a there's a bit of this, Virgil. There's a bit of this uh yeah, he he like tries to kill himself at the end, right? And he feels super bad at the end. Um I felt like uh, in the last scene where uh the main character drives off with the, the girl that he quote unquote won, there's a bit of a um like uh Mrs. Robinson, was it the graduate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. at the end where they're on the bus and they, they just don't know what the fuck's ahead of them. There's a bit yeah. of that in that last scene, which I thought was good. But yeah, I mean the big twist though in 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 the graduate, Elaine didn't know Dustin Hoffman was a murderer, so this was, you know, so so much darker than, than the graduate. <laughs> true, that's true. My question for Better Luck Tomorrow is the same one that Chris had about soul searching, which is, um, you know, why was it? It's it's it is a very popular. It has like, like among Asian Americans, everyone knows this movie. But like it never makes it to any of those those like big lists. Like remember all that all that build up? Like it's such a watershed. Crazy Rich Asians is like a watershed moment for Asian Americans because the last time we had this was Joy Luck Club. It's like why well, why was Better Luck all the movies were overlooked, but why was Better Luck Tomorrow also overlooked? Is it just well, too it, it didn't you know, James Wan is um he's the one that directed it, right? James Wan? No, Justin Lin. Justin, Justin Lin, yeah. Lin. Delete that. Delete it. Delete <laughs> it. Justin Lin is the one that directed it, and he did like the Fast and the Furious franchise. So it's not like he's some unknown director. No, but he didn't do Fast and Furious until like a decade later, right? Like he had to work his way the up. The first Fast and the Furious. I to- think so. well, like Tokyo Drift, right? But didn't Tokyo it come Drift out at was, least like a year was, like, later. The ugly stepchild of the franchise. 
What? I, I, I don't quite know, but Justin Lin didn't really become a superstar until Fast Five, which was, I don't know how many years after uh, Better Luck Tomorrow. I am looking it up right now. Fast yeah. and the Furious. The first one is 2001. Did he direct oh, okay. that? He didn't, I don't think. I uh, think he started with no, Tokyo No, you're Drift. right. He didn't. It was uh, Rob Cohen. Yeah, Tokyo Drift okay. in Never mind. Did, so, he do, okay. did he do Tokyo Drift? He yeah, did Tokyo five Drift. Five years later. That's five. 2006. Yeah. So he was like I thought of Better Luck Tomorrow as being a basically an indie film, which is why I, I didn't think it you know made, yeah. Made also, the list. it did in that LA Times article. I I don't know how much weight you'd give it, but it was also ranked number one. So retroactively, mm. people have given it a status that they haven't given, say, a Soul Searching. Maybe not enough time has passed for Soul Searching, but since it, considering the time it came out, I think the best it could have done was was like a cult hit, especially since it's like an indie film. Mm-hmm. Nobody was famous in the cast, although you know quite a few of them have gone on to be, uh, you know, regular working actors. Even someone like John Cho could be called, you know, something of a star. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's distributed by MTV, not exactly like a powerhouse studio. So I, th- I think it, it probably maximized as as much as it, it could. And I, I think it's violent subject matter. Again, it's kind of like lack of wokeness because its its central subject is. A bunch of like high achieving Asian American guys. It doesn't have that obvious wokeness hook that would have. Yeah, but people weren't looking for that in 2002, were they? Yeah, so I don't definitely think not. So. But I, I'm saying like nowadays, if people want to revive it, yeah, or in terms of it, it, it lacks that obvious hook. Uh, so that would be my guess. Yeah, maybe it was good because it didn't have that hook. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a topic for a whole different yeah. episode. Uh, I guess this this is one of our positive episodes, you know, where we talk right. about things we liked. So mm-hmm. uh, I think, I mean, to, you know, try to wrap things up, I think these are two quite different movies, but they do share a sense of, you know, pretty much everyone is Asian American. It does look quite deeply into uh, community issues. And both of them are really good, I would say, among the, you know, best Asian American movies we have now. Okay, we are approaching uh, the time limit, so I think right. uh, it'll be a good time to wrap it up. All right. All right, so thank you, listeners, for listening to this episode of Unverified Accounts. Uh, hope you'll join us next time, so have a good day or night whenever you're listening to this. All right, bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.